comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dudes! Dude! His dudeness, duder, el duderino. Dude! Dude! Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. And now, here's the dudes. Hey everybody, it's the Legion of Dudes podcast. We don't know the episode number exactly. We think you'll be hearing this sometime in February. This is John. I have with me Russell and Jim. Hello boys from the future, or the past I guess, as it were. I think everything's gone kind of timey-wimey, as the British uh, will say. Yes. We, I'm, we're just going to pretend Russell said hello because he's having internet issues. And we decided with a little bit of spare time that we're going to get an issue in the can, as it were. And uh, we're going to talk about the Resident Evil film series, which was kind of fun. Uh, recently, for I guess the big holiday rush, uh, Black Friday time, they released a big box set of all the Resident Evil films. And uh, I know I took the opportunity to sit down and watch them straight through. Uh, I know Russ watched them straight through when the new movie, Retribution, was in theaters. Uh, I know, Jim, you did a quick catch-up. Was it all of them in one shot, or was it just the new one you needed to watch? How did that go for you? I watched. The, I ended up watching the new one on your guys' recommendation. There were so many things I didn't remember from the other ones. I ended up watching the first two. So I've seen the first two and the last two. I'm missing the middle one. Or I, th- or I think I've seen it, but I saw it when it came out or something. I haven't seen it recently. Right, and so the order, just uh, maybe we can avoid, or we probably can't avoid saying the first one, the second one, the third one. But anyway, uh, you have Resident Evil 2002. You have Resident Evil Apocalypse 2004. You have Resident Evil Extinction 2007, which is probably the one you missed, Jim. Then Resident Evil Afterlife 2010, which was one of the first 3D releases to home video anyway. And in the new wave of, of 3D, I should say. And uh, the most recent Resident Evil Retribution, which came out just last year. So that is the five-disc set. Before you get too uh, far into the movies, I mean, we should probably say where Resident Evil came from. Uh, adapted from the, the Capcom video game of the same name, uh, originally on the PS1, I believe. And uh, then from there on the PS2. And they've, the video game series has continued on you know as long as you know just as long as the video as the uh, movie franchise has and they kind of uh you know they aren't the same continuity per se but they they share a lot of story elements a lot of a lot of you know concepts and ideas and whatnot so yeah and that's kind of important because the the uh fan base for the resident evil game series is pretty rabid so uh you know it, it's kind of important to mention that and talk about what they changed and and what they kept the same which I think is a problem in a lot of video game adaptations, like trying to leave too much the same as the game, and that continuity can get really bogged down when they try to 
you know, leave it as is, I think. A lot of stuff, just like we talk about in comics all the time, there's a lot of stuff that works in video games and on the printed page that you're just not going to be able to get to work in a live-action film. Well, I think it was smarter from Vanderson to take, like, the elements of the game, you know, Alice and, and uh, you know, Joe Valentine and the Umbrella Corporation and, you know, and the things that are, are cool about the game and kind of shuffle those concept ar- uh, concepts around to make, you know, his own movie that still kind of fits... Um, in you know st- stylistically in tone out and in tonality to, you know with the games you know they're 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 both they're both the games and the movie are very suspenseful you know survival horror um, they have you know some of the same elements in them even though they're not exactly the same or one isn't a direct adaptation of the other the thing I find really amusing about these movies is they're almost like a press for printing money because the first one was made on a budget of about thirty-three million and grossed hundred and two. The most recent one was made on a budget of sixty-five million and has a worldwide gross of two hundred and twenty-one million. So they've they've managed to not like crazy inflate the budget on it, but double the domestic gross. So it's 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 pretty. I, I just find that fascinating that for as bad as the critics pan it. People still love to go see this stuff. And I give a lot of the credit to uh, the marketing and, you know, uh, let's face it, Mila Jovovich. I mean, they just come up with, like, the best poses, the coolest weapons, and the hottest outfits for for their posters, trailers, and all of their promotional material. And, I mean, it works. Uh, let's face it, you know. The violence plus sex angle is a big seller. Yeah, and she she pimps this stuff out hard. Like when they start filming or getting or they're getting ready to start filming, she's on Twitter, you know, putting out photos and and posting stuff up and really you know getting the word out. And I know a lot of that has to do with the fact that her husband is directing it, but it also I guess makes it easier because she's the star of the movie, but yet has direct access to the di- director. Well, that sounds funny. So probably has a lot of leeway in what she can and cannot say and knows exactly what she can and cannot say. So I think that's that's kind of cool. Plus, she's got the physicality. You know, she's got the, uh, beyond, you know, being incredibly beautiful and, you know, and nice to look at, she has the physicality. She has the, you know, the, the, um, the action chops, as it were. You know, especially in the later movies, there's a lot of gun fu going on there that's really well choreographed. Um, but I mean, she definitely has that kind of, you know, physical edge to her that makes her believable as an action star, not just a, you know another pretty face. And I mean, if before we get into the films real quickly, I mean, if you look at her filmography, as it were, on on IMDb, she hasn't had a hell of a lot of success that I can see. Besides these movies, I mean, Ultraviolet was bad and did very poorly. Um, which was another kind of action futuristic vehicle for her. She was part of my uh, when she was really young though. She was part of my one of my favorite ensemble movies of all time, uh, Dazed and Confused by Richard Linklater, uh, along with a- uh, Adam Goldberg and Anthony Rapp and a lot of other uh, young Ben Affleck. You know, a lot of other guy people that spun off to be much bigger stars. But uh, she's very memorable in that in her small role. And the Fifth Element. Um, I haven't Classic. seen. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a really long time. But she was part of that, and then after those two films, which she kind of did back to back, there isn't much going on besides the Resident Evil series. And she seems to, like Russ said, she's embraced it. 
You know, I mean, that's if she's going to be Alice for the rest of her career, they're going to make a lot of money. So let's take a look at uh, Resident Evil, the 2002 original. I always thought it was cool how they started this movie off with the scene where she sort of passed out uh, in the shower and then she gets up and there's the red dress laid out, you know, right in front of her on the on the bed there. And we all know the red dress and we don't need to know why she needed to wear that or how it's practical in any way, but it sort of set the stage for the Resident Evil world. Plus they have that sweet narration at the very beginning, you know, at the beginning of the 21st century, the Umbrella Corporation had become the largest commercial entity in the United States, you know, kind of setting it up like uh, Omnicor in, in RoboCop or whatever. Um, I, I thought that was pretty cool. They kind of break it down for people who weren't familiar with the game, you know, who Umbrella was and what they were about. And this one had a pretty, I would say, dark tone to it. It was, I think, intended to be a much darker film. And as we get into the the later ones, we kind of see it kind of lighten up in tone and get more fantastical and more ridiculous as it goes along. But this one, I hate to say play it straight because it that, that sounds ridiculous. But um, it, like I said, it was much more, I think they really were trying to play up the horror aspect of it, the the what's around the corner and what's jumping out at you kind of thing. Yeah, and it's funny. I'm not a huge fan of the game. I'm not as a huge fan of the games as probably you guys are. I definitely played one and two, and then I think the next one I remember is like five. And it seems like the games changed in that regard as well, right? I mean, one and two were survival horror games where – they would stick you in an alley with, like, no wiggle room, no bullets, and you had to kind of maneuver your way around zombies and stuff. And then I think it went more towards action, certainly in 5 and 6. So they, the movie and the, and the video games, even like, they almost parallel each other it's in terms of storytelling. I'd say they the went more toward action, starting with Code Veronica, and then really more toward action in... Uh... Resident Evil 4 uh, with uh, Leon Kennedy and the, the over-the-shoulder uh, shooting mechanic that they brought into it rather than the uh, um, t- contextual uh, you know, 2D backgrounds. It was a fully realized 3D world and uh, you know shooting counted and it, it was very much uh, brought into the action game forefront at that point. But you're absolutely right. Especially 5. 5 really doesn't have very many horror aspects to it at all. Uh, it's, it's pretty much just straight up shoot 'em up. Yeah, and I remember um, like driving a speedboat and like <laughs> some other things in five that uh, you certainly wouldn't find in the first few. So how about our supporting cast, uh, Michelle Rodriguez as Rain, which I don't be- I, I don't believe she uh, Rain is a character in any of the games. But again, I'm not on top of the game continuity. Not that I recall. Yeah, as far as I know, she's not in the games. Uh, and then Russ is going to help me. Oh, it's it's Colin Salmon, isn't it? That was uh, yes. James One Shade is sort of the leader of the uh, what would you call that? Like the Umbrella Hit Squad, their little what tactical it, the force. Stars, isn't that what they're called? The the Stars team team. I thought Stars was the police, and these guys were Umbrella people. But I could I could be totally wrong. No, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. And he's like a big British television actor. I mean, he's been in like MI5. He was in the first season of the British version of uh, Strike Back. And, of course, now he's on Arrow as uh, 
you know, as the the kind of the the stepfather to, uh, Oliver. to Oliver Queen, yeah. And I mean, Michelle Rodriguez for me, you know, she always plays the same character. She played the same character on Lost, basically. She's badass. She can do the physical stuff. She's believable holding a gun, but she's always sort of like sulking and pissed off. You know, it's kind of like a one-note yeah. character that she does, but uh, you know, g- good enough in this role. You know, certainly. She has that same delivery too, that same kind of deadpan delivery. Yeah, and it's That's always exactly like it, her face is always pointed down, and her eyes are always looking up. <laughs> like she just has that yeah. like scowl and whatever. And I thought um, Colin Simon was a little over the top. I mean, for him, a lot over the top. You know, like you said, Russ, he's sort of a more serious deal maybe he was trying to ham it up a little bit on purpose for this kind of film the cgi while pretty cutting edge in 2002 (laughs) does not exactly hold up uh when you watch it now yeah this is something we talked about on our uh, spider-man real heroes uh show that the you know cgi that was state-of-the-art at the beginning of the 2000s not so much now and and I thought in this one, and, and we're going to get to this more in the as we talk about Apocalypse next, the only non-zombie monster is, I'm going to call it the liquor. I think that's what I used to call it in the video games. I don't know. Maybe you guys have a better term for it. Sort of like that. He looks kind of like Venom, you know, with the long tongue and stuff that was crawling all over the place. That's really the only time they tried it, and they probably weren't ready to have an all-CGI monster that was on screen that much. But, uh, and you know what? It probably looks worse. You know, we're watching the Blu-ray high-def version now, and it does seem to make that sort of thing stand out more. Yeah, definitely. Definitely does. Yeah, I noticed it very much rewatching it uh, with the dogs. The yes. The zombie dogs. They, they really were standouts like that. I believe the zombie dogs make an appearance in every film. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I noted that uh, when I was watching all of them, that the zombie dogs return again and again and again. So, overall, what did you guys think of the first one? I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought, you know, maybe the dated uh, CGI was a bit of a problem. But otherwise, like, I when I rewatched it, I was like, man, that was kind of better than I remembered it being. Yeah, I think, I mean, overall, I think it's probably my, it's close between being my second second favorite and third favorite. It's it's definitely better than the next two, but not, like, remarkably better than the next two. Um, it I, th- I think it, it holds up pretty well. I mean, you get the tension in the end when they're trying to get back out of the facility and they get, you know, try and get back to the train and all that. I, I think they do a good job. I mean, the best scene in the whole movie, of course, is the one everybody always talks about, which is the, the laser grid that cuts, uh, you know, poor Colin Salmon into uh, yes. Swiss cheese, which is just awesome because you, you keep thinking, oh, they're not going to actually, you know, do it and then show it. And they both do it and show it. And <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Yeah, they keep teasing it, like when he jumps up to the ceiling and it cuts off part of his gun, and you know they keep teasing the effect of the laser. And like you said, Russ, you don't really know if they're gonna you know go through with it, but then they do. And I'm glad you mentioned the end because I almost forgot. I love the very end of this movie. I love when Alice walks out onto the Raccoon City street, you know, steals a shotgun out of a broken down police car. 
And it's almost like now we're going to start the video game story. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, yeah. they got them out of the lab and the, and the different sort of claustrophobic feel, which was cool, and it, and it definitely worked. But now she's outside in the open in the street, and I just thought, like, when I watched the end of that, I wanted to immediately put in the next one. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's one thing I'll say these movies do a pretty good job of is – giving you that cliffhanger at the end to take you to the next one. And it's not so egregious or whatever that you're just like, oh, my God. I, I mean, again, none of these movies are like, oh, my God, I can't wait to the next one. But it's just enough to hook you in to want to watch the next one. And our next one was Resident Evil Apocalypse, which it might have been a little bit of a disappointment. Uh, <laughs> Russ, maybe you can pull up the box office numbers on that one if you haven't already. This one was made for $45 million, so they jumped the budget up about $12 mil, um, and it made $129 million. You know, So, again, they, they were in for more, and it made more. So, you know, like all these movies, it's just like this, it's this steady progression of increasing box office. And the big addition, I would say, is uh, Sienna Guillory as Jill Valentine, which is yes. another big video game character uh, brought in. And... I got to tell you, like, I don't know. She's so, it's such a ridiculous live action character, but it totally worked for me. Like, she has the look down. She's got the sass and the whole, you know, personality that worked. She's running around in a tube top and a miniskirt and, like, go go boots, <laughs> just like in the video game. And somehow it was just awesome. You know, I. <laughs> go ahead, Jim. I was just going to say, it's funny how slavish they were to her look in this movie and how little she looks like Jill Valentine in the latest movies. Um, she, I mean, she, if, you know, if you didn't know it was the same actress, it'd be hard for us to tell it was the same character. Yeah, well, her not changing her hair back to uh, brunette probably had a lot to do with that. It's almost like she was yeah. in the middle of another project and was like, yeah, I'll show up, but I can't change my hair color right now. And I won't put on a wig. Yeah, yeah. just that that's what really threw me off. And her look between being a a short-haired brunette and a longer-haired blonde is pretty significant. I mean, it's almost where if you held two photographs right next to each other, you'd have a hard time identifying her. I mean, her look is drastically different. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. I mean, especially in the last movie. I mean, we'll get to it, but I mean, she doesn't look like Jill. I didn't even know it was Jill Valentine until close-ups on her. I'm like, oh wait, and you know. Then I think you know Alice's character says her name. I'm like, oh, that's yeah. I think, who that is. <laughs> I think she says her name about seven times in a four minute span, just to make sure you know that it's Jill yeah. Valentine. Right. And we get uh, the introduction of LJ, who is Mike Epps, into the series. And this, I think, speaks to what Russ was saying about the first one being so dark, and this one, you know, going in a different direction. He was definitely there for comic relief. And, uh, you know, it wasn't very funny, and it, it seemed pretty out of place coming off of that first movie. As the series goes on, you kind of get the idea, all right, they're lightening this up, and this is going to be a character that's going to have some comedy relief time and stuff like that. But in the second film, it seemed a bit wrong to me. I was rooting for him to die. I mean... <laughs> Overall, this is definitely... For me, like the low point of the series, this is my least favorite one. I, I did like the ending to it. I think it had a really cool ending, and of course, like we talked about, a fairly strong beginning. Um, but I think it just kind of really drugged too much. And again, I think the humor aspects just kind of fell flat, fell really flat. 
you know, w- one of the nice additions I thought to this one was Oded Fair as Carlos, o- Carlos Oliveira. I think he that was a, a, a again another one of those intros to the franchise that uh, that worked really well. And I think watching these movies back to back, you know, I, like I said, I, I left the first one saying, "Wow, they weren't ready for an all CGI big bad at, at the end of this movie." And then they come back, and it's almost like they said, you know what, we're not ready for an all-CGI big bad, so we're going to dress somebody up in the Nemesis costume. And it was just freaking terrible. I mean, (laughs) it was laughable how bad that suit was. It's funny, too, because Nemesis is really divisive among the Resident Evil video game fans, too. He came in uh, in Resident Evil 3, and he was like this timed uh, big boss that would eventually show up on the scene if you took too much time, uh, you know, you know, getting to where you're going or exploring the the area or whatever. The nemesis would pop up, and he was almost unstoppable. I mean, you could stop him, but it would take like all the ammo you had, and you know, probably more ammo than you had on you at most points in that game. But uh, some people really liked the tension they brought to the game, and some people just thought it was a stupid, cheap ploy to you know add you know uh, to you know to make it like a timed event and then to see nemesis brought into this movie and it just looks like a big foam rubber suit with a guy in it which is kind of i mean like i said they bring you know different um elements in from the game but i think they probably could have left this one (laughs) yeah and i mean they they had just ramped up alice to being like super fast and super agile and she can jump really high and she can fight you know, really adeptly, and now she's, like, punching this rubber suit guy that doesn't have enough moving parts on his costume. <laughs> like, it just, it was so, it took me out of it really badly, unfortunately. Russ, what's the, you said you loved how this one ended. Can you remind me how they set up uh, the third movie from here? This one is where they they nuke the city, at the end, and they oh, get right. out. Yeah, and and I, I believe this is the one too where don't they have her kidnap? They they she's in the facility and they activate her, and then she becomes like Super Alice at at the end. Like she shows up and gets. They basically break into the facility. They get her out. They take her in the car and drive off. And and now she's Super Alice because her eye, like the iris on her eye, changes to the umbrella symbol and then flashes back out. Right. I remember that. Yeah, I just thought that was really cool that, you know, again, there's something going on with her that it started to explain why she is somewhat superhuman, but not ridiculously superhuman. So I, th- I thought that was kind of cool. And that brings us to Extinction in 2007. And, I, I, you know, I thought it was a smart move. We went from the underground lab in the first movie to, like, the streets and Raccoon City in the second movie. And now they sort of, like, take the gang into the post-apocalyptic desert Mad Max world. Yeah, I remember this. It was like Fallout New Vegas, the movie. It was when they brought in Allie Larder, too. Yes, they brought in Allie Larder. They brought back uh, pretty much the rest of the gang. There was a little stunt casting. What was her name? Uh, Ashanti plays the part of Betty, yeah. who, uh, who kind of had a big, important role in there. And the zombie crows were freaking awesome. <laughs> like all of those genetically, uh, you know, umbrella enhanced crows that attacked the school buses and everything that they were in. This one was this a lot of fun. 
Isn't this also where Wesker kind of becomes the main bad? Yeah, and it's funny because in this version, Jason O'Mara plays Albert Wesker, who, you know, some of you may know Jason O'Mara from from Terra Nova and the American reboot of Life on Mars, and uh, most recently he was in that um, uh, that movie One for the Money, the uh, Catherine Heigl, Heigl movie. So it was just really funny seeing him playing Albert Wesker, knowing that it almost seemed I think he's a better actor than the guy that played him in the next two, but the guy that played him in the next two has a better look for Wesker than Jason O'Mara had. Like he was he was pushing too hard, I think, to be Wesker. How did this one do, Russ? This one, uh again, a little better. I don't have a budget they don't have a budget posted for this one. Uh, Box Office Mojo doesn't. But the grosses were one hundred and forty seven million word worldwide. So again, pushing Pushing forward slightly from the last one. The uh, IMDb has the budget at forty-five million. Yeah, so again, pretty close to to the second one. So it, you know, it's funny. It's like these movies make just enough to really make it worthwhile to do another one. You know. And and this is the first one to me that turned the corner from like B movie look to full out blockbuster look. Yeah, I agree. And, and I'm sure that, you know, the scenery, again, being outside and being in the desert wasteland and everything, I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. Um, I thought the CGI took a step up. Now, again, we're talking about 2007 now, so it's starting to come around closer to what we're used to now. But again, like the zombie crows worked really good. Um, there were some different kind of, you know, explosions and things that just looked better. I wasn't really happy with Ali Larder. Not so much the job she did. I just thought Claire in this movie was kind of weak. Um, you know, when you when you have Alice already in place and you had a really kick-ass Jill Valentine in the second movie, Claire Redfield really didn't do much besides, like, you know, having important talks with people and, you know, telling people where to go and what to do. She didn't really have a physical presence at all and... With those other females in your mind fresh, she really didn't, you know, do much in this movie. But I know it gets better for her as it continues. Yeah, the other thing, too, that you really got the sense that with this one, they were starting to go towards, like, a bigger story. That they were trying to open it up and and, and get somewhere where the other ones just seemed to be following along like you would expect them to follow along. And this one kind of opened it up. Uh, you know quite a bit that that scene where you know the other thing that's interesting with this one for a good part of the movie Alice is on her own I mean she she kind of understands that Umbrella is tracking her and that she's a liability and so she really just kind of stays stays to her own and it's really cool when she does show up with the rest of the group where she takes out all those crows where they have that that big scene and that that was like a huge deal in the trailer I remember the big you know, fire whipping around and, and toasting all those crows that are coming at him. That was just a that, that was just, I, you know, I think Paul W.S. Anderson kind of gets gets um, picked on a lot for his uh, d- directing bad movies or n- not being that great. But I think that that scene was actually pretty well done. Yeah, actually, um, uh, Russell Mulcahy directed this one. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's well, right. Now we know why Anderson gets picked on. <laughs> yeah, the Highlander. The Highlander directed this one, which makes a lot of sense. I like the part, the the part, of the, you know, the beginning. You get like the Road Warrior part, like John was saying. And at the end, she infiltrates that underground uh, umbrella lair. You get the White Queen. You get the fight with her and the clone. 
Um, all that's pretty cool. And then the end where they uh, they show all the Alice clones. Yes. Uh, very much like the Venture Brothers basement. Another good uh, another good twist leading into the next movie. And I I, I have to say, uh, I don't know where I read it, and I'd love to give the person credit, but I I just don't remember where I read it. But uh, Alice's desert attire. Uh, we'll call that Barbie desert sex, <laughs> which is is pretty perfect. I mean, the outfit's ridiculous. She's got, like, wool garters on and, like, I don't know. Her hair always looks awesome anyway, even though she's been wandering the desert for, like, six months or, or whatever. But I don't know why it works. It's just, like, turn your brain off and it's fun. I think that's one of the keys to really enjoying this movie is not thinking about them too much. Just kind of going with the flow and enjoying them. Yeah, agreed. So we move on to Afterlife, which came out in 2010. And I believe, and Russ, you could speak to this, I'm sure. I think this was one of the first movies in, like, the return of 3D. Yeah. Um, Or certainly one of the first ones to hit 3D on Blu-ray. The cool thing with this one is they they used, and and even in Retribution, same way, they used the same filming and camera techniques that Cameron used for Avatar's 3D. So it looked really good. I mean, I went and saw, I've seen both of these, the the new ones in 3D. And Resident Evil Afterlife, funny, but from a movie experience, is probably up there in the top, you know, I, I mean, everybody holds Avatar up at the very top. I think The Hobbit recently has come close, you know, kind of a close second with the quality of the actual 3D. But, you know, you wouldn't think about it, but this movie, I think, is is in that top tier, and it's because of the way they filmed it. That opening sequence with all the Alice's, and they're, they're just going crazy in that umbrella facility, and they do the, you know, the two of them run and jump out the window and flip around and start shooting the gun. That was just an awesome sequence. I mean, it was just extremely well done. The 3D worked very well, and it wasn't completely in your face. So, yeah, from a 3D perspective, this was. I think this one was even more impressive than Retribution. Retribution didn't didn't capture me as much with the 3D as this one did. This one really used it well. I wish I'd seen it in the theater in 3D after seeing it, you know, on television. Um, like you say, Russ, I remember in the like the um, the battle there at the end with Chris and Claire and and uh, Alice, where there's like a piece of glass coming toward Mila Jovovich's character, and the camera is focused on the piece of glass and sees the reflection of her and the reflection of Wesker, and it's flying to the camera. Um, that was a really cool sequence. Uh, a lot of the action sequences at the end would have been a lot better in 3D, but even not in 3D, it really holds up. I really, uh, this is probably my, you know, my second or, or third favorite of the series. I really enjoyed this one. And I think the new wave of 3D this time around, like it seems to be going for depth rather than like throwing stuff at the audience, but yeah, it, it yeah. really works that old style of 3D throwing stuff at the audience really works for these over-the-top action movies. And I'm glad that they didn't really have a conscience about it. Why would they? They haven't had a conscience about anything else in these movies. And and just use that sort of cheap 3D effect. But it, it works in this context, I think. Yeah. I think in Underworld, too, we've seen a little bit, the latest Underworld that was in 3D, you know, like just using that to their advantage, you know, throwing a knife at the audience. And I think, again, I think Allie Larder was better in this one, I thought, or, or Claire had a more significant role, which was cool. 
you get uh, Wentworth Miller as Chris Redfield, another character from the movie or from the uh, video game, you know, brought into the movie. Uh, you get the new guy as Wesker, whose name I don't have in front of me right now, but he's very much more "quote unquote" Weskery than the guy in the last movie. Um, he's very much more like the character in the game, and, and uh, Sean Roberts is the actor who plays him. Especially the end when uh, he's, he's confronting Alice, and then his head explodes into like the four tentacles that we've seen. Uh, you know, the T virus mutate a lot of other animals into. Just uh, really, uh, in the, I, I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. I wish I had seen it in 3D in the theater because, like I said, a lot of the action sequences I imagine would have been really good in 3D. And it's fun. Funny, this one is pretty much the the high water mark as far as box office and returns go. The budget on this one I have from Box Office Mojo is sixty million, and the total worldwide gross is two hundred and ninety six. So that the, this one definitely did better than than Retribution. Um, but it's funny, it's like they count on the domestic box office. It seems to cover the the production cost and it's like everything on the overseas side is just gravy that and you know home video sales are just gravy plus i'm sure i'm sure with all the action and everything that they translate very well you know to foreign markets and i know uh, resident evil is known as biohazard in japan and uh, that is a big rabbit uh, fan following as well there the, the one thing that stood out for me in this one is just the scale that they're really were able to give the the world because of the like improved CGI and everything like that burning city being in the background a lot of the time and the hordes of zombies like underneath the buildings that they're hanging out on top of and stuff like that all came off really well for me yeah and then the concept the, the other thing and it's not something we really talked about but it goes back to to the first movie is the video camera where she is recording this whole thing and kind of doing a you know, video blog or video diary of everything, you know. So at the beginning of them, they all pretty much start out with, my name is Alice, I used to work for Umbrella, you know, and then, you know, blah, 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 it goes on and on. So it's just kind of funny that that, that this one uh, carries forward with that. And I think we should mention a couple of the weird things. We mentioned Wesker being Weskery. I mean, the character's flat out bizarre at this point. Um, Yeah. (laughs) and, And I think the story... Unless I was not paying attention closely enough, I'm pretty sure the story is like completely unraveled at this point. Like, <laughs> I remember watching it and going, "What does Umbrella even want now? Like, what what's happening?" Uh, it really didn't matter, but I lost a little bit of the story thread that I had going through the first three and the hooded monster with the axe that's like the size of a person. <laughs> that was that's just hysterical. Again, I know that's a video game character. But in a movie, like, I couldn't imagine the reason why he would have an axe that big. It Well, and it's awesome, too, because he just starts sauntering up to that gate, like, out of nowhere. Like, yes. There's no explanation. There's no setup. It's, it's just... It's not related to anything else that happens. Yeah. It's just the guy shows up with his hood and an axe. And the axe is awesome because it's this huge pipe. With a cinder block, not even a cinder block. It's like an anvil, like, or a piece of a girder or something like that. Within the, with the axe welded to it, um, and he just he's just lumbering. But I, I I don't know. I just thought that was a really cool uh, character. And then they revisit that one in, in the next one times two. But uh, but uh, you know, also speaking of the cast, John, you and I are a fan of Kim Coates, who is uh, is on uh, uh, Sons of Anarchy, and he. 
he kind of plays the you know a slime ball, just nasty, over the top, crazy guy in this in this one. Yeah, is he a film producer maybe or? Yeah, yeah, he's like a Hollywood producer guy, or was before you know the world went to hell. But yeah, right. Yeah, it's just kind of funny. There's two things in this movie that that cracked me up, um, and that kind of put it in the in the guilty pleasure that that cement its guilty pleasureness with me. At the very beginning of the movie, when Alice arrives in Alaska and she's trying to find out what goes on, what's going on, she comes across uh, Claire. And at that point, we don't really know. I, I at least I didn't when I when I saw it. I didn't really realize that was Claire right off the bat. And she's like dirty and nasty, and her hair's like all ratty, and she's got that you know scarab thing that's attached to her that's controlling her. And when it, you know Alice finds her, is able to remove it. And the next scene we see is the two of them flying in that airplane, and they cut to the back seat with Claire in there, and her hair is perfect, like she's got makeup everywhere, she's all cleaned up, yet she's wearing the exact same clothes. And I remember seeing that, and I was like, "What the hell just happened?" <laughs> That it, it actually made me laugh out loud when they finally land the plane on the roof. And so you have this group of people, and a couple of them are guys, you know, the ex-athlete and uh, the producer, like we said, and stuff. And and you can just imagine, like, you know, the shape they're in. They've been freaking, like, hiding from these zombies for how many months or whatever. And this pilot finally lands the plane on the roof. And these two unbelievably hot and perfectly manicured women step out of the plane. <laughs> like, it actually made me laugh out loud. Like, what are those guys thinking right now? Yeah. They just won the lottery. Yeah, exactly. And the second thing was just the belaboring of... Chris Redfield, his, uh, you know, coming into contact with his sister, like a, the coincidence of it is like ridiculously astronomical, but the fact that it just like, they kept playing, you know, delaying, delaying, delaying. And then they finally, you know, get to that moment. It was just like, you know, come on already. You know, it just, it, it seemed like it was just wasting screen time in, in my opinion. So I guess that brings us to uh, Resident Evil Retribution, the newest. One thing I wanted to mention because I I'm unclear on this. Did I? I think I saw tweets from Mila Jovovich that this was or wasn't the definite fin- final of the series. I remember her talking about whether or not it was over, but I couldn't remember the details. I it's definitely not. I think I remember her saying that that afterlife was the starting of a new trilogy like afterlife was going to be the the first film in in this sequence of 3 that are to come oh okay so so we should expect one more then yeah i would at this point i would say that's almost a certainty cuz you know I, again i guess before we get into the now's a good time to segue into that but retribution was made on a 65 million dollar budget so they goosed it up just a, just a hair um, and it and it made 221 million worldwide. So again, more than you know, more than triple its its cost in worldwide box office. So I'm pretty sure that guarantees us uh, another one. And I just I love the look of this one. I love the simulated environments that gave us the different areas from the movies that we've seen. Like they brought us back to that street in Japan where they originally showed like I think the first you know, the patient zero, so to speak, of when the virus hit the outside world. Um, you know, the girl, I guess, with the umbrella that uh, that bites or yeah. gets bitten. 
that was actually the sequence from the beginning of Afterlife. That's how Afterlife started was that, uh, you know, them folk. It started with that narration uh, from, I guess, Patrick Stewart when it talked about it. And, uh, you know, it was almost like it was a Sony commercial. And then it and then it zeroes in on Japan. And then, yeah, then we see it spread. Um, and, and so they they actually that sequence is redone in, in Retribution. There are a lot of little nods to the rest of this, um, the um, previous movies in this one that I've noticed after seeing the uh, older movies. I mean, they've added new things, like they added uh, Ada Wong, uh, the character from the from the games. But there've also like there were a lot of like visual things, like when she wakes up again in the cell and in in, uh, in umbrella and her clothes are laid out for her, just like in the very first movie. Only this time yeah. it's like that that armor bodysuit that's very much a callback to that. Um, there are a lot of uh, like little things that kind of shout back to the other movies, and I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, this one pretty much is a love letter to the other four Resident Evil movies. I mean, there's it touches every aspect. I mean, they bring back all the old characters. They touch on all you know older settings. They the other thing with this one is this is pretty much a video game put on film. I mean, this is go from you know this area and this mission or this world to the next to the next to the next and i mean they even set it up with a facility that's the whole purpose of this facility is to to train these these characters and do these run these simulations for you know world governments on uh you know how how they could generate these biological weapons and see how they spread and interact and how the people how people respond to it i really like the use of the clones to bring back uh, you know, Rain and uh, Colin Salmon. You know, I, I just thought it worked. I thought it worked having having Michelle Rodriguez as like a person who was completely different from her character. You know, the the one that was helping them, I guess, in that uh, overpass, and she really had no clue like what was going on or how to shoot a gun. But then there was another version her of her who was like the badass uh, on the strike team with Colin Salmon again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, again, it, that I thought that was a cool aspect. You know, it, it really was interesting, too, in the beginning when they started it out with the, you know, they reenact the, uh, you know, so this one starts directly from the ending of the last one. So if, I don't know if, if you guys watched the, it was like a mid credit scene at the end of Afterlife, and that's where um, Sienna Guillory shows up at the very, very end with all those crazy-looking helicopter things are flying towards that ocean liner, and that's how that's how Afterlife ended. Um, and she walks on the back of the deck of, the, of one of those aircraft, and they 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 do go to a wide shot, and there's like a hundred of those things. And so, you know, again, then when we get to Retribution, that's where it starts with the. They actually do a reverse, you know, yeah. to. Which I, people a lot of people ragged on that, but I thought it was really cool. And and with the 3D, I think it worked well to have the slow mo reverse, you know, to show you know how the battle started and where it ended. I, I I don't know. I just thought it was kind of a cool sequence. I liked that a lot. I liked the way they opened that with the reverse sequence, because when they start with the credits, she's just floating there still in the water, and it's just very peaceful. And then you go, you know, you get start the rewind, and you realize no. This isn't peaceful at all. <laughs> she just got exploded off the side of the liner. So then they run it back. I, I, I like that a lot, actually. Yeah, this was kind of you know, this was pretty, you know, panned pretty badly, um, and I just didn't get it. My my only reasoning would be like people seeing this movie out of the blue and not knowing the rest of the series. I mean, yeah, then I guess you'd be pretty friggin' lost. Um, 
because it is one thing I love about these movies is it's a true series. You know, one movie picking up right where another left off. You just don't see that very often. You know, without a without it being a part one and a part two, like you know, in the last Harry Potter or something like that. Yeah, it's almost like they geared these things to where. If, if it makes enough and they can make another one, they've got a clear starting point for the next movie. And if it completely bombs and it ends, then that's that's where it ends. You know, and, and it's it's perfectly fine. Um, it, you know, one of the other things they brought in from the video games in this one that they introduced in Resident Evil 4 was the Las Plagas. So when they went to, I guess it was Russia, the the world in Moscow or whatever, that was like the, the area where they let the Las Plagas um virus loose which is kind of a modification of the of the t-virus um so it really brought in all of these you know aspects that they started to bring into the video games beyond just the the t-virus you know from the first movie which i thought was was kind of cool so you got these crazy you know uh russian nazi zombie you know thing going on which is pretty popular these days and then the dual you know hooded guys with the axes were, were back again yeah, that was a pretty cool fight sequence with the with those two guys like whipping their axes <laughs> across the room and and uh, I guess it was Alice and somebody else at that point like doing the slides in slow mo to get underneath the axes and yeah yeah there was the weird part for me was the the whole sequence where she wakes up and she's a housewife with a daughter yeah and, and, yeah you know, she makes breakfast for her husband I'm just like what. Because, I mean, that was not where I was expecting it to go at that point. Yeah, and I kept waiting for the, like, she's going to snap out of it or she's going to, you know, they're going to, something's going to happen. And so when it ended the way it did, I was like, wow, that's different. Um, and then she kind of wakes up. And then, of course, you know, as the movie progresses, we figure out what's going on. But, uh, but yeah, I thought that was kind of an interesting twist. And at this point, I mean, by this fifth movie, I mean, nothing is going on really that resembles the game at all. You know, they're just... They're just showing up with characters that you would know the name of from the games. I guess Leon Kennedy shows up in this one, you know, kind of out of the blue with uh, with uh, the guy from the, the for Luther from the, the previous movie shows up with the with the crew coming in from the outside. Yeah, uh, Chris and Claire Redfield have disappeared without a trace. And, and no mention. <laughs> It was like, and it's funny because I I went to this movie and I I, I was expecting Ellie uh, uh, Larder to show up in this one, and so when she didn't, I was like, okay, well that's odd, and there's no explanation, there's no, and again, it's so very much like this franchise, right? I mean, they just they just do whatever, and they you know they don't apologize and they don't explain, and you just take it at face value or you don't, and uh, but I was like, well, Ellie Larder, I think she just had a kid. She's pretty, you know, she's fairly popular. She's probably steadily working you know she maybe she just didn't want to come back a third time or have the time for it but i was like what the hell is wentworth miller doing like what is that guy doing that he can't come back and do another resident evil movie i mean he's prison escaping break is... from a prison or yeah. breaking back into one or <laughs> escaping again or <laughs> one not of those anymore things. it's not yeah yeah, it was just kind of funny, and again, it just like it. It almost seems fitting that they weren't in it, as opposed to the fact that they were in it. You know, I just thought it was weird that there were so many characters in this that we hadn't seen. They were bringing back from all the other movies, yet they were gone. Yeah, yeah. 
but again, it's just, you know, it's just a lot of fun. And then, you know, the whole bit. And then, of, of course, the biggest uh, mystery uh, head scratcher of them all is the fact that Wesker was back, given how he was destroyed at the end of the last one. It's like what? You, no explanation. No nothing. It's just there he is in no, the White is House. Is he back? He's, yeah, he's living in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> And they they did that a lot in the series. I mean, even when, like, the tentacle zombies started showing up, it's just like all of a sudden the zombies' head splits open and now they can do this. You know, there's really no... Now, we, I guess from the game, you know that it's sort of like a hybrid T-virus or like a, you know, mutation or evolution of it, but they really don't mention it at all. The zombies just start doing that. I think somewhere in there they did mention Las Plagas. I, I want to say it was either on like a vid screen in, in, in Retribution or something like that. I remember hearing Las Plagas somewhere. Um, yeah, that's what could... gives Rain like her superpowers. She like yeah, injects that's herself right. with yes. the Las Plagas and now that's what makes her invulnerable and super strong. And then she takes out Ada and fights Leon and Luther, and then Luther gets killed. Now, is there a, there's a moment in Retribution, and I could have just missed something, but there's a moment in Retribution where uh, I guess it's Leon and his team are are fighting, and like a gun falls out of the sky and lands in his hand. <laughs> Do you guys know what I'm talking about? No, that uh, I just saw it the one time in the theater. I haven't seen it since, so. I'm gonna have to. I could like I could not find the like. It seemed like somebody tossed a gun up high in the air, and so like he came out of a roll and caught it at the right time to like shoot the last guy. But I I don't recall seeing anybody throw it up in the air, and he just sort of does a roll, and this gun falls from the sky and lands in his hand. I'm gonna Bad have to. Edit. I'm gonna have to rewatch it now. But uh, things like that are just accepted in the Resident Evil movie franchise. Yes, and that, that's something to to think about too. Is because since uh, Afterlife, w- one of the things Wesker did was he injected Alice with something that took away all her superpowers. So in Afterlife and Retribution, she wasn't superhero Alice. She was, you know, regular regular person Alice. Um, and at the end, when she arrives at the White House, which is like this last fortified area in America, uh, he Wesker turns, you know, kind of turns and realizes that he needs her help in order for humanity to survive and reinjects her. So conceivably in the next one, we'll get superhero Alice back, which I, I think is kind of cool. And at one point, I think regular Alice gets her heart stopped, but continues yes. to fight on. Yes, because she's that tough. Yeah, she's the the scene where she's in that white hallway out just outside of the simulation of Japan, and the wave after wave of uh, you know zombies come at her, and she's got that gun fu going on with that chain, that bicycle chain. That was really uh, cool. That was a great, well choreographed action scene. I was really impressed by that. Yeah, and again, they get back to the whole uh, uh, you know, laser grid thing with that too. Just a lot of cool, lot of cool callbacks. Um, you know, if 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 you liked any of the movies up to this point, then you can't not like this one because it just literally they they everything comes back, um, and then some new stuff added as well. But uh, 
that that ending scene was cool. It was kind of almost something out of like what was that the the Romero movie, The Land of the Dead? Is that the one where they they end up in the that fortress that Dennis Hopper is running? Um, yeah, that's Land yeah. of the Dead. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of that where they're just like holed up inside the White House and there's guys with huge flamethrowers, uh, you know, shooting out. There's these crazy look like pterodactyls almost like that were flying around. I mean, it was like really crazy. It's like, what else can we do to make this even crazier? Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. <laughs> they look like bugs, though. They look like dino bugs with like that weird four lobed head again, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, and everything was amped up, like we talked about. You know, it, in, instead of just one of those, I call him the nemesis monster, but with the brain on the on the outside, you know, that that crawl with a long tongue, there were the like, liquor. yeah, the liquor. There were like twelve of those in this one, and they were like huge. They were even bigger, I think, than in the previous. Um, we had two of the guys that uh, that had the big, huge axes, and of course the dogs, and then the crazy, uh, you know, zombies. Uh, you know, on motorcycles and driving trucks, which was awesome. Um, <laughs> it, it just, it was so ridiculous and so over the top, which makes it even, even better in, in my opinion. But like, like I said, it was, it, it was so much like, it was more like a video game than any of the movies up to this point. I mean, this was just like literally, you know, somebody just, just, it was like a first person shooter that somebody just decided to put on film. All right. I mean, so <laughs> I don't know how much uh, else there really is to say. I mean, I would I would recommend this series with the exception of two, which I still wouldn't tell anybody to skip. You know, I'd probably give it the caveat of just hang in there through two. It gets better after that. And then, you know, I would... Any zombie fan or sci-fi action fan, I would recommend this series. Do we want to rank them? Just because, you know, that's what we tend to do? Yeah, sure. Why not? I'll rank this as retribution number number one. Well, let me go. Let me go worst to best. I'll go number five, apocalypse. Number four, extinction. Number three, afterlife. Number two, the first Resident Evil, and then number one, I would say retribution. Just just for its over the top, awesome actiony stuff. All right, let's see if I can do this on the first try. Uh, <laughs> number five. Apocalypse. Number four, Resident Evil. Number three, Afterlife. Number two, Retribution. Number one, Extinction. So I think that was pretty close to the same. I think I had the original one spot lower than you. Interesting. That's very interesting. But I mean, I like, if I went one to ten ratings you know i would give apocalypse a five or a six and then probably the rest of them would all be seven and a half or higher i i would recommend this series to anybody who likes good fun action movies with horror and sci-fi elements let's see number five apocalypse uh i have to go number uh four the original resident evil then uh number three extinction number two afterlife and number one redemption I think they'd be getting better as they go along, but I thought the second was the weakest of the series. And it, it, we should mention that there are two CGI films as well, and I don't think they are this movie continuity at all. I think they are their own things. I think I'm pretty sure those are video game continuity. They, they tie into the video game continuity. 
what yeah one of them takes place between four and five and then the recent one takes place between five and six and the recent one was actually pretty decent i, I just saw it um a couple months back it was it was actually fairly well done they're both they're a little long and and can be a little draggy in places um but the the second one was better than the first one very good so we hope uh you've enjoyed our review of the resident evil series uh we'd like to tell you what's coming up next on legion of dudes but we don't know when you're hearing this exactly but i'm sure it'll all be fantastic if you want to read uh johnny m's a little more in-depth opinion on that on the resident evil series he did a little retrospective on the website you can check out at hhwlod.com along with a lot of other great stuff yes of course you can always email us at comments at legionofdudes.com and uh, send us a voice line, 516-468-7912. Have a good night. <laughs>